Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, bringing a special Christmas message again today. And this will be the fourth in a series that I have entitled, What is Christmas? And this will be the fourth one today, and I'm entitling this, The Greatest Christmas Ever. And hopefully I can explain what I mean by that by the time we get through this message. The context for the day is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, through chapter 2, verse 4. I'm not going to read all of those verses. I'm just going to read a couple of those verses for you today. So if you'd like to follow along with your copy of God's Word, then I encourage you to do that. And I will begin with Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The Word of God reads, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. And then I want to drop down to verse 23 in chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates means God with us. And then over in chapter 2, verse 4, And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he, meaning Herod, began to inquire as to them where this Christ was to be born. And I want to bring those uh, three verses to you because I want to be sharing with you today uh, the greatest Christmas ever, and talking about these three names. There's actually four in the context, but I don't think time would permit. So I'm going to deal with the three names that are actually here in this context. In verse 21, the name is Jesus. In verse 23, the name is Emmanuel. In verse 4 of chapter 2, the name is Christ. And so I want to talk about these in relation to the best Christmas ever. Now, Christmas, is. we just finished the Christmas season. It was last week, and I know that uh, uh, it was probably a good time for many of you. Hopefully, you had a, a great time with your family, your friends. But I would pray, just like you would probably pray, that in our society or in our culture, that perhaps we could have a Christmas one year that would, nothing would distract us from the awesomeness of the actual Christmas message, meaning Christ was born a man, God becoming man in the form of that little baby. But I think it would be wishful thinking. I don't think that that would happen. I think that uh, uh, most Christians, uh, Christmas has become so complex. And I say Christians because I don't think the world would ever do this. But I think for Christians even, Christmas has become so complex. It seems to be a bit chaotic. It's confusing at times with all the stuff and the reality of the season. And I even heard two talking about it the other day, talking about the stresses of the holiday. Not defining them, but I think we all pretty much know sometimes it can be stressful. It doesn't have to be, but sometimes it can be. So I think uh, with all the stuff, the reality, the, the true simplicity of the birth of Christ, I think, has been blended into what some people might call fantasy or whatever and has lost its real significance. In fact, I think Christmas ought to be simple. It's not, but it ought to be simple, not complex, just very simple. Christmas should be uh, the, wiped clean of all the distractions. And I, I know that's wishful thinking. I don't think it can. But of all the decorations, uh, if we could just get through all of that to the simple uh, truth of Christmas, I think we would find there is a power 
in the Christmas message. A power that can truly change lives. A power that can be real and meaningful, unlike the things that we face today. You see, there's only one element in the Christmas uh, seasonal celebration that has in it any lasting power to affect life. There's no real strength, there's no, and you know this, there's no peace, there's no comfort uh, or hope or love or promise or confidence for the future to be found in all that the world sees about Christmas, whether it's a snowman, whether it's Santa Claus, whether it's the tree or the celebrations that people have, the parties, the shopping, and I could go on and on and on. There's just none of that found in those. There's only one element of the Christmas season celebrating the birth of Christ that has any real lasting power to affect life. In other words, there's no lasting value, even in the gifts that we choose to give one another. And I'm not trying to to be pessimistic or, or just negative or rain on someone's parade or to say you should never even participate in any of that. I'm just not saying that. I'm just saying the sim- simplicity of the message of Christ ought to be resonating through us during this season. Even though Christmas was last week, it's still not too late. It's still not too late. The packages, the, no party can sustain a flickering a life change, no bright light. No bright lights can lift up uh, the person who really is in need of encouragement or comfort during the Christmas season. For the person that's lonely, there's no real relationship found in, in any of the things that are, are, are portrayed as the Christmas spirit that we talked about last year or last week. There's no power even in the fellowship. There's no power in the lights or the sentiments. And, and for those people who find themselves desperate during the Christmas season, you need power. You need encouragement. You need something different than what the world has to offer during Christmas. You need something more than just getting involved in a mall with beautiful lights to go shopping. You need what Christ has to offer. He is the only utterly sufficient element of Christmas there is. He is truly our hope in times of doubt. And I don't know why we can't seem to get that. I don't know why or how many times we need to hear that. But only Christ can fill the heart with a lasting joy in the time of sadness. And I I say sadness because I've talked to many people that say Christmas is sad. Or putting up the decorations and finishing Christmas is sad. The Christmas spirit will be gone. Well, I, I think there's a lot of confusion to all that. You see, only Christ can fill the heart with a peace. Only heart, only Christ can fill the heart with a peace, get this, that can last all year. And that can last the rest of our life. You see, it doesn't have to just be a one or two weeks of Christmas or a month of Christmas. Uh, Christmas is, can be different. When life reaches its moment of desperation, during Christmas you would hope that at least Christians would turn to Christ for hope. But many times they don't. So what is it about Christ that gives hope? What is it about Christ that gives this joy, this, this, uh, this encouragement through the season? What is it about Christ that provides comfort uh, when, to those that are lonely? What is it about Christ that gives peace in the midst of fear? One simple look at the birth of the Son of God should tell us the answer to this. And that's why I want to give you these titles. Again, the titles is in verse 21, Jesus. And uh, again, in verse 23, the, the title that it gives us is Jesus shall be, or the birth, the baby shall be called Emmanuel. And then, uh, who is he that is born? 
where this Christ is located in verse 4 of chapter 2. So these titles will tell us how the child of Christmas has the power to restore, I think, the desperate or the lonely or depressed heart. So I wanted to cover these one by one. Real, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but the first name is Jesus. We looked at a little bit of this in some of the messages, but verse 21, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? And it gives the reason. It gives the very reason. This should be the very focal point of our season because it is he, Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. That ought to be the message of Christmas. Not shopping, not lights, decorations, not all the other stuff. But the simplicity in that is given to us right there in verse 21. And you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because it is he who will save his people from their sins. Jesus, he gives salvation to his people. So if you're listening to my voice today, and you're a Christian, it's Jesus that provides that salvation for you. Jesus gives salvation to his people. He saves them from their sins. Down in verse 25, when he was born, it says, Joseph called his name Jesus in in obedience to the divine command. You see, the name Jesus, I think it's, uh, I actually got this from Josh McDowell years ago. That's even a name I haven't referenced lately. Uh, One of the big leaders of Campus Crusade for Christ. It said this about Jesus. It's the sweetest name the Savior knows. Jesus, and from an earthly viewpoint. And in fact, it's used over 700 times in the New Testament. It's from the Hebrew word Yahshua or Joshua, depending on how you say that. It means Yahweh of the Old Testament or God, and it means God will save. And that is really what the name Jesus means. And we see that throughout the New Testament, in the, especially in the Christmas story, when we're at least brought to our attention the, the, the verses that relate to the Christmas story, like Luke 2.11 says he would be born a Savior. Mark 10.45 says the Son of Man has come to save. Luke 19.10, he has come to save. Ephesians 1, Paul's writing, we'll skip out of the Gospels for a second. In Ephesians 1.7 it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Colossians says pretty much the same thing. In what sense? To save us from from the ultimate consequences of our sins, namely eternal damnation. That's really the sense in which we're saved. To save you as well as uh, from even the the present domination of your sin, but primarily and ultimately he came to save you in the sense that he delivers you and delivers me from the consequences or the penalty or the damnation that sin requires terrible thing to say and to think about, but it is the reality of Christ coming to save us. You might say, well, I think the forgiveness of sins is the primary result of salvation as both in in the Old New Testament, when you'd be right. Salvation is, by definition, a rescuing from the consequences of sin. And and we we see this throughout the the New New Testament and and even uh, throughout the Old Testament. And so there is this, this definition of the word Jesus uh, that is, is given to us. He, but it says right there in the verse, he shall save us from our sins. Jesus, who both gave the sacrifice for sin and carried our sins away. In fact, the word forgive uh, means to send away or dismiss. It's used in legal terminology to refer to a canceling a debt a canceling of a debt, a granting or a pardon. So through the death of the cross, Jesus took the sins, our sins, 
all of our sins on himself and died our death as a blood sacrifice for our sins, meaning we will not have to pay for our sins. Then he carried them away, as one writer says, away an infinite distance that will never, ever be returned to us. As far as the east is from the west, Isaiah says. The Bible speaks of this in Psalm 103, 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, and also in Isaiah, uh, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Well, how far is the east from the west? Well, infinite. In fact, that's a Jewish expression for infinity, as far as the east is from the west. Listen to what Isaiah also says in Isaiah 44, 22. It says, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Folks, I don't know if we really can, can comprehend what it means to have our sins, debt, paid for. But there will be a day when we understand that, when we really will see it, and that is when we receive the final part of our glorification of the final phase of our salvation in heaven. It is going to be an, an immaculate, uh, amazing thing to see and to understand. I don't know that we can understand it in the flesh. There may be times we can understand it, and it should, probably should break our heart when we do see any glimpse of the sin that caused Christ to take our sins upon himself. What a, I think a blessed reality that Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive sin. I don't know how we could say that one phrase enough times to where we could understand it. But it doesn't mean we won't commit sin. We do. It doesn't mean that sin won't have harmful effects in our life. It does. It doesn't mean that if we sin and make a bad choice that affects our life, we're going to have an easy out. No, it doesn't. But what it does mean is that we will never pay the ultimate penalty for sin. Think about this. It's been paid. We will never die eternally. We will never spend a moment in hell. We will go from this life into heaven. No matter what sin a man or woman creates as a Christian, it's been paid for. And that, that is not a, a permissive kind of thing allowing you to sin more. It's not. So in that, there is the fullness of joy. You don't need to go, you don't need to fear that your difficulty is God's way of making you offer the full atonement of your sins or iniquity. Not so. No matter what goes wrong in your life, no matter what is not there, no matter how depressed, no matter how desperate you are, no matter what your heart is feeling, Christ really has done what he needs to do to fulfill, to give you the joy that can be in your heart. Now, the second title it's not Jesus. The second title is Emmanuel. And it's found in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. Now, I had someone the, the other day, I heard them say, that God with us, what, what does that actually mean? I mean, we, God, does that mean Christ in us? Well, yeah, it does. Uh, this is one of the great, great titles that he bears. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. So in other words, he is not only Jesus, he is Emmanuel. And to see that at this time of year is to see a great reality. Man, wouldn't it be great if all the Christians really began to, to see the real significance 
and the meaning of just the names, these four or five names in this section. There's some I'm not giving you. I'm only giving you three. That's why I say four or five. But if we could just see that, we would see so much. It would be a great reality to see this, to understand what it means when you say Emmanuel, God, God with us. Well, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God lives among us. Not that we have to see him, but God does live among us. It means God became a man. God will be present with his people. The child of Christmas is Emmanuel. God with us. That child that was born that day, though fully fully human, as a fully human baby, was also... Now, I know this is going to be strange, if you, especially if you've never heard this, but God, he's fully God. You see, Jesus, that baby, when you look at him, is just as much man as if he had never been God, and just as much God as if he had never been man. He is the God-man, the God-person, In the Old Testament, the presence of God was in the tabernacle. We saw that clearly going through Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The presence of God was in the temple later. And now in the New Testament, the presence of God is in the body and the person of Christ, meaning God with us. You see, if we could just get this, ladies and gentlemen, this is a great Christmas truth. And like the term Jesus, Emmanuel is a powerful Christmas truth. What does it mean? Listen to what it means when you, I guess you you could, uh, I hate to use this word because somebody might not know what it is. When you extrapolate its significance, it means stretch it out, bring it broader to another meaning. Uh, Like in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, since then the children share in his flesh and blood of he himself, that is Christ the Lord, also partook of the same. You see, we have flesh and blood. He took on flesh and blood. We share or we have fellowship, koinonia, in the same common physical elements. And he partook. He took them on. God became incarnate man. By the way, that word uh, usually has to do with something that someone which is uh, which has is not normally theirs. We are by nature flesh and blood. Emmanuel was not. But he became flesh and blood. He added to himself our nature to die our death to save us from our sins. I know that's difficult to wrap your, your mind around, but it is true. Listen to Hebrews 2.17. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. He had to be fully human in every sense in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So what do you mean when you say that? Well, a priest is someone who intercedes for you, someone who goes to God for you. Is that what Christ is doing? Absolutely, he is. How can he go to God for us and plead our case and ask God to help us if he doesn't understand us? I think that would be common sense, don't you think? So a priest was always chosen from among men because he could then pray for the needs of the men because he knew what they were. Jesus became one of us in order that he might represent us fully and truly. Uh, He became like us in all ways. Uh, All all Christians should uh, should basically understand this. And so what this is actually saying to us is at Christmas when you see the child, and I know we can't see him physically, but when you see pictures or you see it in stories or you read about it, See who he is. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Think about that. In other words, this is God with us. 
This baby is Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. He was hungry. He got thirsty. He was tired. He slept. He learned. He was glad. He was sad. He was angry. He was indignant. He was grieved. He was troubled. He was disappointed. He was tearful. And the list could go on and on and on. He exercised faith. He read the scriptures. He prayed. He had, his, he had a broken heart. His, he felt heavy. He, he wept. He felt everything. You say, your life is in danger? Well, his was always in danger. You say, you've been mistreated and misjudged. Well, so was he. You can't have a pain or an ache that he did not have. Now, that proves to us and says to us, this is not some distant, far out of the way God somewhere out there. This is the God that is with us. He knows our hurts. He knows our weaknesses. He's not only the Christ of salvation, but he's the Christ of, you could say, sympathy. Uh, The Christmas perspective, the child born that day was God with us to feel what we feel. In other words, we can go to him with the confidence that he understands. He understands the feeling. He understands the anxiety, the fear, the depression. To experience... That is to go to him and understand that he understands to be tempted and tested as we were tempted and tested in order that he might sympathize with us on the one hand in order that he might aid us on the other. To sympathize. Well, you cast your cares upon him because he cares for us. Isn't that what Peter says? Hebrews 2.18 says he's able to come to the aid of those who are tested. God with us. Well, what does it mean to come to our aid? What does he do? I'll tell you what Jesus does. During this, even though Christmas was last week, it's still the Christmas season. But what does Christ do? Here's what he does. He gives you the courage to face your, your burdens or your problems. He gives you the wisdom to understand your burdens and your problems, your loneliness or your depression or your anxieties. He gives you the strength to endure your personal problems, your anxieties, your fears, your insecurities. He gives you the faith, listen to this, to trust Him. He gives you the faith to trust Him for the rest that is available from these anxieties and fears. Listen, there's nothing in in, in Christmas that's going to give you that. There's no Santa Claus can give you that. None of the, not having the best tree or the best decorations on the block. Nothing's going to give you that. Only Christ can give you that. Now I want to look quickly at the fourth title. The fourth title is found in verse 4. And again, I'm skipping one that's king in verse 2. But I want to look at uh, four, verse 4 of chapter 2 of Matthew. And gathering all the chief priests together and scribes and the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. You see, this is another familiar time. The, the Christ is just a term that means Messiah. That's what, when it says the Christ, he means Messiah. Where is that Messiah to be born? It's the same thing. The Hebrew uh, and the Greek here are are very similar in this. It means the anointed one, God's special anointed one, and it reflects his right to rule, his right to have authority and sovereignty as the promised Messiah of God. And so, there's so much in the term that we can't focus on at all, but let me just capture one element of it that I, I think is, is interesting. and It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, introducing the coming Messiah. It says that there will be a child, a son, there will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, uh, eternal father. You could translate it a number of ways, but the Messiah, the eternal one, 
the eternal Father in the sense that he is the eternal generator of life. He is a life giver, in other words. Who is this Messiah? Who is this the Christ? He is the life giver. And that certainly is the intent of John 1. In him was life. All things were made by him. Without him, not anything was made at all. That's the gospel of John 1.1. So when you see the word Christ, think of him in a way as the giver of life. The one who originates life. Not just your physical life. Listen, he has given life to your dead spirit. The creator of life. The giver of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The creator of life. I am come that you might have what? Life. John says this in John eleven twenty five and 26. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So there is so much there. And I say to you, no matter how bleak your Christmas season was, and I've heard several already say it was just not a good Christmas, and... Uh, so many things went wrong, so many so many problems. and But no matter how bleak, no matter how lonely, no matter how depressed, no matter how painful, no matter uh, all of these circumstances, no matter what life is dishing out to you during this last year, no matter how unfulfilled, you can live in the hope of the life to come. Let me tell you something. Right now, today, this moment can be different for you for the whole rest of next year. You see, here's one thing that's that's interesting. He's not Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ, because he is our example. In other words, he's not Jesus, Emmanuel, or Christ because he's our teacher, or because he is our guide, or, or because he is our friend. He's all of that, but his name is Jesus because he saves us from our sin. His name is Emmanuel because he is our sympathizing strengthener. He is God with us. And his name is Christ because he is the source of life. He is those other things as well. Sure, he is our example. Sure, he is our teacher. Sure, he is our guide. Sure, he is our friend. But he is the Christ because he is the source of life. And when you know all that, when you believe all that, when you confess all that, you've seen through all of the, the facade of Christmas, through the, sim- to the very simplicity of the birth of Christ. Now think about that. If you could just really see the birth of Christ, if Christ would, God would just turn on our, our minds so that we could perceive exactly what we need to see in this, it would be the best Christmas ever. If we could just understand, if we could make it that, we could see the best Christmas ever. And like I said at the beginning, I've heard so many things about having the best Christmas ever, people promising that. Uh, I know and looking back, I see one of my best Christmases was when I received a bicycle. I thought that was the best. But you know what, as a Christian, as, a, as, a, as an adult, my best Christmas ought to be the one that I was most focused on Christ during the season. That ought to be the best one. But I know it's, it can be a bit of a fantasy to think that most people are going to do that, but they don't. So let me encourage you this. And this will be the last of this Christmas messages. And next week I'll begin doing some things on uh, starting over the new year and uh, the, thing, the, the challenges that that will bring. 
Let me challenge you to do something. Think about this. If you do next year like you did this year spiritually, will you grow any? In other words, if you read about the same amount, if you do about the same thing, go to church about the same, pray about the same, are you going to grow any? Is it going to be different, really? Let me encourage you to get into God's Word. Set as a goal or rule or standard. You read your Bible every day. Get into the Word of God. If you need help doing that, I will help you. If you could just contact me, I would love to help. I'm already helping several people that have reached out to me. I'm helping them, calling them, or texting them. I would love to do that. But you would have to take that step. Do not determine in your heart you're not going to go one day without reading at least one verse of Scripture. It will make a difference in your next year. And for this year, if that happens next year, uh, if you begin doing that now, you can look back at this season. And even though it wasn't the actual Christmas day, it's the Christmas this year, you could say, was the best Christmas ever. Thank you so much for joining us. For now, this is William Rogers. And I thank you again for listening. And I encourage you to get in and stay in God's Word. Thank you.